Pardon? No one said anything. No one said anything. It was the guy's What? Said no one said anything. No one said anything. Oh my god. I did Samus hear something. Samus is coming. <laughs> Samus is coming. <laughs> I said this one. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to Adeptus Australis, the Warhammer 40k podcast, where this week we're talking about birdie boys. Can the GW app ever get above two stars in the app store? And what the hell is a data slate? With me, as always, are my co-hosts. Hello, James. Hello. And hello, Ollie. Hello. Lots to get through. But first, what have we been doing this week? James, what have you been doing? Well, I started painting my Araman, my second army, Thousand Sons. Going pretty well. Started off with a bit of Infernal Flame. I'm very much liking the look of it. I don't know if you've seen the model, but it's raised up on a hover disc. Uh, it's very heavy metal looking. Not painting style. I'm not painting style heavy metal wise. You're not heavy metal painting. I'm not heavy metal painting. I just think it's very much something you'd see on the cover of a 1980s. Well, like an like an Iron Maiden album cover. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Iron Maiden for sure. I'm not an Iron Maiden fan, as in, don't be wrong, don't mind them, but I can't speak for them if that was the case. <laughs> and people may be upset if they look this up and go, what is this <laughs> big I, nerd talking about? I, I, do, I do feel that our crossover between Warhammer fans and Iron Maiden fans is probably not large. If we had a Venn diagram, I think the intersection would be small. I disagree. Warhammer. I'm here to cause controversy. <laughs> Warhammer, Iron Maiden, uh, Deptus Australis pod, the tiniest intersection I could imagine. I feel like you've got a bowling ball against the the size of the earth in terms of the difference in the Venn diagram circles then too. So tell me, did you do you fully undercoat in like Retributor armor or something like that? Like is he fully golden undercoated? Yeah, I find that's what I would consider trim. So the trim part of the model, I usually use as the undercoat. So Because well, there's a lot of it and it's tricky to paint. Exactly. So I get the can out, give it a spray, not too much. Don't want it on too thick, especially with gold. Gold can definitely lay on quite thick from experience. With the flames, I left alone. So I just gave them a, oh, kind of, it's probably leftover Corax white which I don't even think is around anymore. Was it Corax no, Grey? still around. Corvus Black and Corax White. What's the grey one they got rid of? Wasn't that Corax White? No, uh, they had one called White Scar, but I think it exists now too. It's a like really Apothecary chunky... Apothecary White was the original Bright White, which I think is now White Scar. Maybe. I could be wrong. They've got I think White I'm Scar right. is their like brilliant white, and then you've got Apothecary White is their pseudo-grey contrast paint to try to help like do the same color as uh, apothecaries in the space marines well it was a rank white that i put on it and then i put some greens on it and it was looking looking good i'm pretty stoked with it because nice i know how finicky it can be this is a model that i want to do myself and make a bit of a hero model mm. i'm very much happy to smash some what would you call it battle ready paint jobs out and every time i look at it to Every time I look at a model and think, oh, yeah, I'll, 
I just need to touch that up a bit. I never get around to it because when I see it all on the board, I'm usually pretty happy. Just don't pick it up and take a close enough look. But this is a model that I really want to get right. That's what I've been doing. I love it. Haraman. Ollie? Uh, this week, I've been uh, painting a Iron Here Champion, which is the, that, I think it was the store anniversary model. You'll, you might have to correct me here, Jum. It was the, um, the, the female unique one? Iron Here Champion model. Was that the right one? The female champion with the big yes. bull? Yeah. I want to say Wrath like... of the Ancestors. Yes, That's that does sound say. right. I've got the box behind me. I can go have a look. So I'm painting her up at the moment uh, for a friend of mine who has got me painting it in a sort of similar scheme to the Howling Griffins. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically like a quartered color scheme with yellow up on the, the top right-hand shoulder and the bottom like left-hand leg and then red in the opposite panels and then um so i've been having a bit of fun doing that and sort of getting back into the swing of painting for the first time in a little while for me been practicing doing some oil washes and reducing those and trying not to ruin my paint job under that and then i'm actually trying a new technique for um, object source lighting using my airbrush and some fluorescent paints and then an oil white paint so it's meant to be os made easy and we'll see how it turns out that sounds great and i'm all for anything that makes painting easier i haven't tried osl with my airbrush yet but i should try it together (laughs) i should it looks it looks exciting what about you john what are you doing this week i'm still painting my um grotmas git i've been taking it nice and slow just enjoying the actual painting part of it it's quite nice to have a little model that it's not going to go on a tabletop Probably ever for me. I don't think I'll... Maybe one day I'll play Orcs, but I don't think I'm going to whip him out and be like, I'm going to use this as a squig hog guy or something. We could have a novelty Christmas game. Explain could, yourself. We could incorporate... What is it? The Grot? The Grotness? The um, the Red Gobbo. The Red Gobbo, sorry. The Red Gobbo and he's Grotness at Christmas and it could steal command points or i don't know i feel we could monetize our own little christmas <laughs> <laughs> christmas campaign <laughs> little little mission uh and get get him on the board well i think this is a good idea keep that in mind for the um for the patreon oh yeah the patreon we'll put it we'll put it behind a paywall we actually have a santa model as well i use uh logan grimnar and his big santa sleigh if you guys haven't seen that one it is exactly how it sounds it's a big angry space wolf riding a sleigh being dragged by two wolves (laughs) and the guy has a big big white beard okay so guys uh mark it down it's the start of february and we've already planned our christmas game which will probably be our first game of the year at the rate at which we play Warhammer. Um, but yeah, I am really enjoying just painting for painting. Um, I've got my kind of space set up a bit better and I can just kind of get to it a little bit. My wet palette only gets a little bit moldy um, when I forget to clean it out. But it's not the biggest model, obviously, but I've got the the actual orc or the, the Gretchen fella, he's separated from the from the squig and I've just been focusing on the squig and just doing some dry brushing and laughing to myself when I do too much and then try and correct and do too little. But yeah, I'm just focusing on him and just trying some things, trying to do a bit of um, not wet blending, but just some glazing, I guess, but still always trying to cheat. So even with just like the teeth and stuff, doing 
doing that base color and then putting like a really dark contrast like right up in the gums to try and just you know give it that dirty look and then and he's a cute little fella i'm particularly fond of his tiny little hoof claws um <laughs> i don't know what that says about me that's a great um great thing to be able to paint something which doesn't have as high stakes as the like main centerpiece of your army because uh, a lot of people find that really intimidating especially they you know they're just getting into the hobby you know they buy this awesome new army but they go man i've not painted a lot and i don't know what i'm doing you know and i'm terrified of painting this this character so having a couple of models that you can just throw around you're not worried about them looking pretty too much and getting on the table you can try new techniques and just by doing the reps you'll get better and better and better 100%. so good on you for painting bravely jum oh thank you and i've decided that i want to um see if i can put him into like a, a christmas bauble um so next year he can go on the tree um, and I can tell you this right now, he'll go on the back of the tree, down the bottom, underneath everything where no one can see it because my Christmas tree at home is a very specific uh, scheme and setup, which I uh, don't have any say in uh, <laughs> ever. You sneak it on there. I just, I'm going to sneak it in there. Um, and I thought that, that might be fun. I've got a, I've got a young lad who I'm going to you know, indoctrinate into Warhammer as soon as he's old enough. And I think it would be fun that if every Christmas I'd start getting the Red Gobbo or the Associated and get it done and we, we'll have like a little Christmas nativity um, of Red Gobbos and Christmas gits. I'm, I'm currently looking up 40K Christmas models. I just typed it into Google, clicked images, and there are some banger sweaters on here that oh, you'd wear it to a family Christmas and... That either think you've joined the military, but it's a festival kind of knit that they've given you, <laughs> or you're a Satanist. Uh, <laughs> there's also great stockings. Either are good options. See, I think... Um, okay, so what you're saying is, everyone listening to this podcast, you have to subscribe to the podcast, stay with us, because all of our good ideas revolve around December, where we're going to do a Christmas jumper, Christmas gets-themed... Campaign. Campaign game. Absolutely. There's also a hectic-looking bauble. We're, we're on to a winner here, boys. And speaking of winners, we're going to move on to the news because we've had a few little morsels this week. Nothing major. It's been actually a bit of a dry spell, to be fair, but we have had a lot recently through Christmas, the LVO we spoke about last time. Um, but what we did get is the event minis, for this year, as as always, there's a couple of them. There's a Age of Sigma one, and there's a Warhammer 40k one uh, available at events, starting with Adepticon, and then more events after that. Which um, I don't know what they are. Ollie, do you? Can you explain to us what an event miniature is? So. The event minis are essentially just uh, a miniature that they'll release at a Games Workshop sponsored event. So an example of that would be like Adepticon, like you mentioned, or maybe um, another competition. So you'll see that there's a whole bunch of Games Workshop comps that they advertise going on throughout America um, and the UK. Um, and you can generally pick them up at any of those um, events. Um, unfortunately for us here in Australia, there aren't too many. So there's very few official Games Workshop sponsored events. So I guess in, in that regard, for any of our Australian listeners, I'd um, strongly recommend getting in touch with your local games workshop. He'll be able to tell you sort of where those events are. But um, yeah, typically it's just a, a games workshop event where they're running a competition of any kind. Might even have it at Golden Demon, I'm not sure. So 
to get a hold of one of these minis, would best bet just hitting up eBay after... Don't. Yeah. Don't. You're giving the scalpers what they want. I'm just saying, <laughs> he, if you did really want it, either you go to the event. I do like the exclusivity of it. I think that's kind of neat. I think that's kind of cool. However, I do appreciate if some people are feeling a bit, woe is me, like us, down under. But again, eBay is always an option. It is always an option. But more importantly is what the Mini actually is. So I'm calling them the Bird Boys because we've got two birdie beaky themed fellas. So on the Age of Sigma side, we have the Steel Rook, which is a very armoured, knightly looking fella with a beaky helmet, you know, that would make any Raven Guard jealous. But more importantly, on the 40k side, we had the 40k event mini, which is a crude carnivore called the Hunter Strikes. Being the tower representative of this podcast, do love me crude. A few weeks ago, it was very exciting with the Hunter pack. And, well, I feel that pack striked harder than this model. Oh, I've done very well there, I think. <laughs> that is a 3 out of 10. Oh, boo. Nat 1. Yeah, it's a pretty standard model. It just looks like it was part of the Crute Carnivore pack. Doesn't look like it's something you'd line up for or you'd go to eBay for to specifically get. Uh, it's a shame because I'm looking at the Steel Rook and just the pose, the little companion, and then I don't mind the action of the model. It's looks like it's about to strike with its rifle, but there's just nothing in there that makes it feel like I'm missing out. Well, let me read the um, official blurb. A crude carnivore caught mid-pounce, striking a mighty two-handed blow with the blade on his rifle. As you would expect from a commemorative miniature, this agile avian assailant is festooned with details. Now, I think that they're pushing the boat out a little bit far here, especially considering what we've seen in the past with commemorative minis. Yeah, an example I'd use would be Bayard's Revenge, which in and of itself wasn't necessarily an event miniature, but it was just a really interesting almost diorama um, where you had a big Empress champion sort of throwing down a um, an orc with a chain flying off in the distance. The model had awesome motion. Um, it just really looked like it was a battle scene. And, and whilst the, the crew model is really dynamic and it looks really cool, it would have been interesting to see something, you know, whether it was hitting something or maybe they had it on a slightly bigger base and, you know, there was a companion running next to it or they had, you know, like a crew hound or something, just something to give it a little bit more je ne sais quoi, um, make it a little bit more interesting. Well, just like the Steel Rook, like you said, with his little kind of companion or familiar. I'm also thinking, does this count towards the 50% we haven't seen yet that oh, they announced? I'd hope not. But I think, but yes. He's not going to be a... He's going to be just part of the unit if you use him. He's not a captain by any means or a shaper, for instance. He's just a crude carnivore. 
They often do these as just an extra pose. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see this guy put into um, a really interesting diorama. So we talk about how it doesn't necessarily end up on the base, but with a pose that's as dynamic as that, which is a lot more dynamic than the, the crew that we saw a few weeks ago, um, they'll be able to do something interesting. You might be able to have like a falling over um, enemy on the other side and you might see a, a really cool, I guess, uh, really cool diorama made by a great painter at Golden Demon um, for the dual category, for example. Now that you've mentioned that, I'm looking at the crew carnivores now and it's almost as if they've been kept deliberately plain. They all have a very stoic, well-tempered pose as opposed to the hunter strikes. So the hunter strikes will stick out like a sore thumb in this squad. And then I look at the Crutox Rampages, and it looks like that model belongs more on top of a Rampager because... He's rampaging. There's a conversion for you, James. Exactly. Oh, you're all about the conversions. Maybe that... I am. Maybe that can be our first project together. Yes. <laughs> Going back to your point about jumping on eBay, I don't think I'm going to be jumping on eBay for this, you know, Crute fella, especially, nor am I going to be hunting down the GW events around me to go and get it's still a decent looking miniature um i wouldn't turn it down if you gave it to me but i'm just not going to go out and, and look for it you know that but that's that's just me oh 100 if i was there absolutely i would get it <laughs> but because i'm not close i'm gonna be like oh it's not even that good looking <laughs> the age of sigma ones actually tickled me a little bit which is just heresy on this on this particular uh, podcast you could use it in 40k all you'd have to do is convert it to be a uh, inquisitorial crusader. and be very cool. That can be your first project with Ollie. Guys, Ollie has got a lot of projects <laughs> with us. It's going to be live on our Twitch, which we don't have yet. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we're just planning our year out as we go through the podcast. So on the um, world famous Adeptus Australis, am I getting this many or am I not getting this many? I'm not getting this many. James? I'm not getting this many. Holly? I am not getting this many, which pains me to say because I like to get everything. <laughs> None from a three. In summation, I think they went really hard on the reveals. Oh, yeah. For um, LVO. <laughs> and th this feels like the intern took it too far when he was designing the, um, <laughs> the, the one for the box. And then they said, oh, yeah, we'll just put it over there. Oh. But no. Look, <laughs> you win some, you lose some. And while we're on the topic of ratings, the ever-maligned GW Warhammer 40K, the app, um, <laughs> there's a semicolon in there somewhere, has had a couple of quality-of-life improvements to try and enable us to actually have a better time with the app. So the headlines here are a favourites page, which is pretty simple but pretty powerful in terms of functionality. So, you know, just grab your the bits you like the most, your favourite them, they go in there. Yeah, I... Absolutely am for this. I remember loving the app and then the more using it, I still am a huge fan of the data cards, but having not bought them myself, I am always using the app, loving it. Being a Tau player, there is so many different loadouts and I like to try different things every now and then and I find myself just going, oh, wait, which tab was this in? Oh, it's not really a tab. I now have so many things open and I can't even remember how I got here in the first place. So having a 
favorites element is a huge win for the app, I believe. And it's really simple as well. They've just done a simple tab at the top in the reference page. So you can you can click on anything you can find in the reference. You can just add it to your favorites. Yeah, I found it being oh, it's so much more easy to just write lists quickly too because especially if you you know, have only specific units in your collection. You can just quickly throw something together and, you know, make sure you've got at least a few of the units that you tend to always use um, all in the same place. So it's just been super easy, especially for someone who's a wrist, uh, sorry, <laughs> a list writing fiend. It, uh, it works really well, makes that a much more comfortable experience. And what do you guys think of the command bunker? I think the command bunker is also another great quality of life improvement so this one lives in your army lists and there's a new little icon at the top little skull boy you just hit him and basically it's going to give you what you need for that list so it starts with your data sheets then it moves down into your stratagems um, your detachment rule which for you is a big one james because that's the thing we're always trying to figure out is when is cow yun and when is montcar and what does that even mean and how do you spell it it's all there at the bottom of that page. So a nice quick way to get to the key things without having to go back to your reference and those things combined, you should be able to have the other key things in your favourites. Yeah, less less so intense in regards to Montcart and Kaoyun, but it would have been a huge help in ninth. Absolutely. Well, we, mm. can't, we can't look back. We can only look forward. Only look forward. Um, I, I think these are both really, really great. I um, actually had a game this week just gone and I found the command bunker part of the app was an absolute game changer. I'd been to a couple of competitions where you were flipping back and forth between codexes or using the like physical cards, but honestly, this was so good um, being able to just click through everything really quickly, um, show your opponent, you know, whatever stats they wanted to see, whatever rule they wanted to see all in one place. It, it improved the speed of a game of 40K, I think, in this particular instance by at least 20 30%, which in a long game is such a good thing. And I think it's just something we as players have been asking for for a little while. And it, I'm glad to see these improvements happening. The last iteration of the app had many problems. We all, you know, used it. We all had issues. It's the reason why um, things like Battle Scribe were even created because we didn't feel we were getting what we needed out of the official Warhammer app. And they relaunched this app and it started really well and then got a bit review bombed after the paywall went up, but we always knew that was going to happen. So I think it's really good to see these these improvements. And, you know, like you say, Ollie, you've used it in battle and you've 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 seen it in action, so it can only be good for us. Yeah, huge quality of life improvements. I got to really take my hat off to them um, for this one. Really good. Well, that's it for the news. So now we're going to talk about the first balanced data slate of 2024. Um, it's the first one of the year. It's a pretty meaty one. I read some of it, not all of it. Um, James, did you read it? I did, but only the parts that relate to my armies, which are Tau and Thousand Suns. Which is the, um, the the classic manoeuvre when one of these comes out. But, Ollie, I can see a little glint in your eye. I reckon you've read the whole thing cover to cover. I have, um, and I'm happy to take you through uh, a few of the, I guess, highs and lows of the data slate. Um, 
full, with fortified knowledge from a few experts, I'd say. So I've listened to a couple of other podcasts I'd recommend as well. So Art of War have generally got a really good breakdown um, as well as our favourites uh, at Ospex Tactics and Tabletop Tactics. So they generally will give us a bit of a, a good rundown, but um, sort of synthesising all of those thoughts together and then putting our own spin on things too. I think... Um, the overall gist would be that the the winners were um, the Grey Knights with an upgraded data sheet, the Adeptus Custodes with a, a fixed detachment rule uh, that has taken their power from being, you know, relatively low to relatively high with some really um, aggressive points changes for them, um, as well as the Drukari who managed to pick up an entirely new detachment, and then. Um, the Necrons. Uh, so the Necrons got a what I would call as a soft buff because their Hypercrypt Legion uh, essentially stayed exactly the same, uh, but all of their top competition sort of fell down around them. So it's sort of like an inadvertent buff, if you will. Um, and then with respect to the losers, uh, Elder and Chaos Space Marines got a very needed whack. Um, so both of them had some what they call like FAQ changes where they've changed the way some of the rules function or even changed some of the rules entirely, um, as well as some pretty hefty points drops because they were quite oppressive, I think would be sort of the way they would have best described to have been viewed, um, as well as the World Eaters who seem to... I guess, catch those hands as well uh, in the wash. Uh, Adeptus Mechanicus 2, much like the Necrons got a... I guess if the Necrons got a buff pass passively, then the Adeptus Mechanicus, they got, um, I guess, a bit of a nerf passively because absolutely no changes whatsoever um, to them, which is a, a bit of a shame because um, they're currently on life support um, in the meta. But um, overall, it seemed like it was pretty good changes. A couple of points went up and down in each army. Um, a few had their rules tweaked slightly. Um, but overall, I'd say, generally speaking, the um, internal balance for the factions was improved in a positive way. So I think the general consensus for all those that I've listened to and everything that I've read, as well as my own thoughts sort of weighed in on top of all those, it seems to have been healthy for the state of the game in a competitive sense. Nurgle will hate that. Hates health. Hey, what do you mean by that? <laughs> he got me. Sorry. I just thought it was fun. Oh, so it was a joke. <laughs> it's a good one. Please laugh now. I don't have a laugh on the sound <laughs> There was also a couple of um, FAQs and, and uh, clarifications to the core rules, I believe. Um, anything that stood out to you that's kind of going to broadly affect the way we play? Uh, the only one that I can really remember off the top of my head was the changes that they had to... Uh, it was the charge bonus or really it was a clarification where they said the charge bonus was realistically just the fight's first part so factions like um space walls where they have their blood claws that'll get a certain buff when they charge or the whole blood angels detachment where they get a buff when they charge they'll still get that if they do something like a heroic intervention which involves a charge move uh, but they don't get the charge bonus so what they're saying is the charge bonus is simply only the fight's first part of that equation 
I'll, I'll admit something right now that when these changes come out, I scan through the designer's commentary. I don't really go too deep into it. The first thing I do is I, I jump into the points and I look to see if anything in my army has been made cheaper. Um, and then I look to see if any of my mates' armies have been made more expensive because <laughs> as a casual player, that's I think what matters the most to me is am I going to get more on the table than you are because I am losing because of no fault of my own. It's always the points or the dice or something else. And you're always winning because you've got three plasma rifles um, hitting me on threes with strength 40. Um, so, you know, it's it's not my fault. So as a, I guess as a casual player, like, is this data slate going to have a big effect? Is this going to make our games better? I guess my question first to each of you guys would be, what do you think makes a, I guess a good casual environment or what a, what's a good casual game? I think what's really going to help with a casual game would literally be something like the favorites tab that they've added, which we were talking about before, because with all these changes for someone like myself, I rely a lot on who I'm playing with to guide me through what I can and can't do. Not that I try and get away with anything, but as long as we're both very much on the same page with what's going on. Early days, it is really tough. And it would be really interesting if I could just erase any knowledge I had of Warhammer at the moment, but then come into it, see what it's like with the app. Because I think when we started having competitive matches, we were going through the book. And not just the fact that you were in the book, but in ninth we had that weird crossover where those 8th edition codexes were still the codexes. And then I remember you specifically, um, James, learning your codex and then all of a sudden the new Tau codex comes out, fundamentally changing the way your army works. Whereas I was just running off the Space Marine one, which came out early doors, which it always does, and an 8th edition Raven Guard codex which we were told as well early doors, you're not getting a, a codex supplement for, for Raven Guard. Basically, you've, you've got one model that's not a standard Space Marine model. And I think with the app and these updates, there's probably a lot of data that they can track and see what people are using and how often and with all the tournaments that are happening because I feel the armies that at these tournaments are 50-50% win rate, they didn't seem to get affected as much. Is that fair saying, Ollie? Yeah. So what they they have is they call it the Goldilocks zone, and that's sort of between 45 and 55% win rate. So anything that's sort of scooting up above 55% win rate, they're about to get Thor's hammer smacking them back down to earth, and then typically if they're sitting below 45 they're going to give them a little bit of a lift so an example of that was Drakari. they've been really scraping the bottom of the barrel for a while now so they brought them a whole new detachment which um, looks really cool and will hopefully breathe some some new life into that faction well let's let's talk about that detachment because that struck me as quite strange that gw have got this plan and look, I know that GW will throw the plan out instantly. Like look at the, the Votan launch and that um, James workshop, basically recalling of this army rule that they just put out for an army that had just come back before it had even hit the table. 
mind you, but they seem to have this plan and this rollout and this roadmap of what's coming on. And then all of a sudden we get one faction who gets a whole new detachment. Struck me as a bit strange, especially because, you know, where did that come from? Most likely the pre-planning. It's going to be in the codex whenever that comes. But have they now just supercharged a singular detachment for a singular army just to try and, and pull it back up? You know, I, I don't know what that feels like to you. It feels like a bit of a, um, you know, it's a response mechanism, sure. But I just think it's interesting that you've got other armies out there who maybe not doing as poorly, but still aren't getting maybe the love they deserve. And then for them to kind of break their stride and just give a whole new detachment rule. I think um, it comes down to sort of the two core complaints that Drakari players had particularly in the movement from 9th edition to 10th edition, where Drakari were an army which was all about sort of surprise ambush tactics. They'd drive in a transport, pop out and kill you, whether it was with guns or whether it was with melee. And they've always been a fairly lethal army, whether it was melee or whether it was ranged, they would hurt you, but they also would die and fall over in a stiff breeze. So they, they had absolutely no resilience whatsoever. So they kept that part um, and they still had pretty good-ish shooting, um, particularly with this other detachment, but all of their melee profiles went from being like good to being really terrible they basically lost you know one of each category of statistics and they, they couldn't do anything so the, the beauty of these changes is what they've done is they've made their pain token mechanic the army rule um, function for both ranged and for melee so they do two different things and then this new detachment is also giving them a way to leverage that melee playing style because the other detachment really wasn't good for it either so really all they've done is they've gone oh we hear you drakari players you want to be able to play in melee as well and, and have more options with your collections um so here you go here's something that'll do that so i think it's a really good thing do you think this is going to start a, a landslide of this as a concept so the detachment separate from the codex because the plan that they laid out was obviously Here's Warhammer 10th edition. Everyone's got this index. Everyone's got a army rule and a singular detachment to get going with. And then your codex will come out and you'll, you'll have everything in there. Now that they've done this, do you guys reckon that this could start becoming more common, especially for codexes that might be on the bottom or on the end of their lists? I think we're going to find out over the next few months because I don't, really recall this happening before and correct me if i'm wrong there's a lot of people that can figure out how to exploit these sort of changes very quickly so i think it could be a resounding success where it really bumps them up but not so much to a point where they've just become overpowered or it might not really change much at all which would be a shame I think if it hits that middle ground, we'll see a lot of it. Coming up, Drukari are doing pretty good in tournaments. That 50-50, as you said, Goldilocks, Thor's not going to bother with Mjolnir on them because, hey, it worked. Why did it work? Well, this detachment seemed to be fine. So why don't we just now use that as the tape over the hole in the submarine? So, yeah, basically any really poor performing... Army just gets a new detachment. It, it, look, it just, 
it fills my mind with the conundrum of the warp just on that on, on that concept of and this is that this is that <laughs> thing that GW does and it drives me insane right and I still don't understand why they persist with it so let's take the Dark Angels Codex um, that has come out in the Dark Angels boxes but obviously not on general sale just yet we obviously had those leaks before that happened with the points in them I cannot still to this day fathom why GW put points in a codex anymore because when they launch they've changed every single time we know that when any of those codexes come out this the very first one the very first space marine when that that codex came out they were like don't even worry about it just go to the app it says it on the page it says these points are just indicative of the time go to the digital version that's when you're going to find the points so mm. one don't put the points in the book, man. Just like leave them out of the book, right? But, I agree. Yeah. I, I think that the only reason they have them in there is in case people play totally disconnected offline Warhammer, which I think would be such a minuscule portion of the population of people that play Warhammer that realistically, they, I agree, they should just have a little QR code that directs you to download the most current points of the day and you can print it off. And look, if you're playing offline, you know, I tried that the one time when they um, nerfed Oath of Moment. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, nah, but the codex isn't out yet. So now I can still re-roll hits and wounds. But yeah, look, that might be the case. But that leads me to my next concern, which is, so they've released the new Drakari detachment. What's going to happen to that detachment in the book when the book comes out? Now, if the codex is far enough away and it's not gone into print, like production runs, they're going to be fine. They can change it, but... What happens if it's already being set and already being printed and already being maneuvered and then we're going to see these, you know, it's going to go into the wild, it's going to get play and then it's going to change. This takes us back to what makes a good casual game. All this discussion makes it realise, hey, this is a pretty tough game to do casually, <laughs> I've found. Because imagine yeah. you've gone in, you've, as you've said, bought a book, you're like, okay, got my mate here. We both got the books. This is what it used to be like. Now we can afford it. And then it's like, oh, scan a QR code. Oh, don't use the book. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I think the app's great. Maybe I don't want to say make everything digital because the lore in there is always so great. I always love, even with graphic novels, comics, I always much prefer having the tangible. But... Again, it's that ease of access is why, and it's the same with digital comics and audible books, is it's easier to digest. Ollie, have they been selling digital codexes this edition, or has it only been the physical ones? I haven't actually gone and had a look. Sorry to put you on the spot, but it's mainly because I keep seeing on like the buy, swap and sell groups, plenty of people selling codexes saying, hey, bought this. I've used the code, so the code's no good, but I don't want the book. I just want the code. I just want to unlock it in my app. That's all I want, right? They do that for a reason too. So a lot of competitive players will do that. They'll buy the new codex, use the code, and sell the book so that they can see all the data sheets. Um, so if they're playing an opponent, they can have a look and sort of check without having to resort to, you know, filthy pirated websites mm. that exist out there to do a lot of those sorts of things. <laughs> um, I'll have a look now and see if I can find um, if they sell digital codexes, but I don't, I don't think so. Um, they used to. Let's have a look. 
Near as I can tell, I search the word Codex and I get Codex Space Marines for $92 redos and I can't see a digital version of the Codex for 10 So I don't think we can buy digital print versions at the moment, unfortunately. <sighs> That's my big sigh. And like... I always try my best not to be negative. I just always wonder if there's a, a better way of doing it. And look, James, your, I think your suggestion of the digital thing and just sell me a coffee table book with all the lore in it and all the pictures in it because then I don't have to flick through between the armory and the things and the crusade rules. Like I would buy a, especially a, a specific legion, right? So the, the Dark Angels, there's some great little tidbits in the new codex. There's some stuff going on. You could very easily, every edition, still flog that book and I think you would still buy it. Most people would buy it as well as then probably paying whatever they charge you for the to unlock it in your, in your app. I'd be happy to pay a cumulative, I guess, subscription fee. So we already pay for Warhammer Plus to get access to the app and do some things. And, yeah, it's expensive, but you get a model after a year, so it sort of comes out in the balance of things. But I would be more than happy for each codex that comes out for them to add, you know, three, four, five um, dollars each time I wanted to have another codex on there so it wasn't too bad. So across a year I might pay, you know, a third of the cost of a codex across an edition. I pay the cost of the codex, so GW still gets their portion and they get the, I guess, the money that they would have gotten otherwise. But it means also that if I have a break from the game, I can pause how much I pay and I don't have to fork out all this money all in one hit. And I can also access it digitally, which would be a vast improvement. Though, admittedly, I do love the books. I mean, every faction that I love, I try to get the special edition book because I'm a suck of a gold leaf, apparently. But it's it's they're, they're, they are really nice. Uh, I think for me as well, I very much like the books, but more the books that aren't relevant to me at the moment. So, for example... I'd love to see a fifth edition tower book. If I saw that in a store, I'd be like, oh, awesome. I'd buy this, have a look at it. It would just be a nice little relic to have. I think they've hit a pretty good middle ground of having the books and the app, and they're never going to stop making the books, I don't think, unless just sales go down, 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 which would be really sad to see. But I do think with the app and in regards to casual playing if that's the direction they're focusing a lot of their time and attention to we might see that star rating go up in the app store and look i I never want to um say that things should be monetized more than they are this is an expensive hobby and don't get me wrong i am all for capitalism gw make these minis they build them they design them they do all this stuff charge what you want right that's your prerogative as a company and it's our prerogative as consumers to consume or not consume that thing so we have a balanced podcast i'd like to say i am anti-capitalism i just thought i'd do that for the uh equality just, of the pot okay uh, uh ollie what uh <laughs> ollie lives in a cave <laughs> ollie is a socialist um, I'm definitely not. Okay. Wash your mouth, right. that was soap. <laughs> I support the God Emperor of Mankind for the greater good. Excellent. Death to the Emperor. Um, but look, my point is, and it's kind of the same to, to, to your point, Ollie, like could we see a world where it almost becomes microtransaction-y and to say, hey, well, there is a new uh, Drukhari um, detachment rule, but it's going to cost you... 
15 bucks oh. to unlock it in your app. No. Kill no. the game immediately. <laughs> no. I think if, if it was like you must pay extra like to, like, to play. Yeah. We already have to have a codex in a competition, but if it was literally like there is no way for you to get this you know, unless you have a subscription or like say they bar you from buying the new models unless you're subscribed and you you know you have tears of crap. Oh. They would change their name to EA Games Workshop. Ooh. I've done it. Oh, I love that. That's great. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this one, EA Games Workshop. Yeah, look, I don't want to give them any ideas because I know they all listen to this podcast. Um, but again, behind you. It just, it just kind of, for me, brings it back around to um, what is interesting about dropping that detachment, like completely just independently of everything else. They've done the right thing. They're not charging you money for it. But that could also make other people go, well, I'm waiting on my Orc Codex you know, um, or my Sisters of Battle Codex. And when that comes, I have to wait and pay to get a hold of all the stuff that's in there. But maybe some factions are being, you know, I don't know. But look, at the end of the day, for me, I think it's I think it's good. I think these data slates are generally always good and they've always got the best intentions. So for the first one of the year, there's some questions around that detachment. Are they going to do more of this as a part of me that wants to see more of this? you know, these ad hoc detachments coming. But look, I think it's I think it's been a good one. The road to hell has been paved with good intentions. But I also think this is a road to who knows, limbo. I think they're in a happy middle ground and we'll see what happens. I, uh, I'm really glad that they're doing it. That once upon a time, um, there weren't any frequent updates to the game. So it's really good just to see them really taking it seriously and wanting to help us all have as much fun as possible, which is really ultimately the goal at the end of the day. So I'm happy for them to keep going. I really hope they keep doing the detachment stuff because it gives us a sneak preview of what's going to be in the codex. And um, more info is always good. Knowledge is power, friends. Oh, boo. Boo. Knowledge is power. (laughs) Power is power and I'll crush you all. <laughs> but that is all we have time for today. Look, if you guys like the show, which of course you do, please subscribe on your podcast provider of choice. Leave us a review, five stars or nothing. That's the way it works. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. We have an email address. We are modern gentlemen. It's adeptusastralispod at gmail.com. Send us questions, send us thoughts, send us ideas, send us criticisms. We'll listen to them, I promise. Rate us five stars and then just send us abuse on the email. That's correct. (laughs) You can also keep up to date with our shenanigans on our Instagram. It is at adeptus underscore astralis. Everything we do is up on there. And I can tell you right now that the uh, Instagram is currently empty. So be our first subscribers on the Instagram, please, and we'll start posting things. But that's it. That's the show. We'll be back soon, I promise, with more news from the grim darkness of the far future. But until then, roll hard, paint bravely. Good night. Or good morning.